0: As we've been going through the book of Proverbs, today's uh, topic is going to be the idea of the power of words. I think uh, all you need to do is look on the internet or just keep your ears open and you recognize how powerful words are. Uh, Words can lead to fights, they can lead to assaults, they can lead to murders, they can incite war but words also have the power to encourage, to reconcile, and to heal. And how this happens, we're going to look at Proverbs to just explore this together, this idea of two parts. First, that there are evil words, and then second, there are healing words. So first look at the evil words. The Bible has an assumption, and the assumption is that every human heart is sinful has a bent towards rebellion against God. And so no one, according to the apostle Paul in Romans three is righteous. No one desires God inherently. And when Jesus reflects on this, in the gospel of Luke chapter six, verse 45, he says this, the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So whatever your heart says is generally a decent picture of what your heart feels, what it looks like. And so we're gonna see this expressed in the book of Proverbs. The first proverb we'll look at is chapter 16, verses 27 through 28, where the writer says, a worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife and whisper and a whisperer separates close friends. If you look at these two verses, the words are spoken by what the writer calls a worthless man. And this worthless man, just examining those two verses, has these features to it. They plot evil. There's a scorching fire, dishonesty, whispers, gossip. All of these things express this concept of a questioning heart an antagonistic heart, a heart filled with innuendo and desire to divide and to create gaps and schisms. This reflects early on when Satan in the garden goes to Eve and goes to Adam and his question is a subtle one. Did God really say? It doesn't seem that great of a deception, but it really is that. It's, it's that poignant questioning the attempt to undermine any sense of authority, or honor, or respect. And that technique has led to much division in all sorts of relationships inside the church, in families, in homes, in governments, amongst roommates and friendships. Division is a significant reflection and effect of what happens when there's that innuendo, that questioning, that sort of Worms its way in. Much like a, a forest fire, where when that fire spreads through, it rages. It's what this writer calls the scorching fire. And when it goes and spreads, it doesn't just kill dead trees or dying trees, it kills healthy trees. And that's the reality of a fire. Everything is destroyed in its path. And so too, whispers. Whispers like that destroy a family both the healthy ones and the sick ones, destroys a church, both the healthy and the sick. It just simply goes throughout. It, it sort of has that, that constant undermining and critique and gossip that just spreads through every single circumstance. Now we know, according to Jesus, this comes from hearts, but hearts expresses itself through words. And these words, are coming in all sorts of forms. Sometimes we curse people out. We swear at one another. Even Christians do that every once in a while, and perhaps you've done that too. Even people you say you love, that has come out in the heat of the battle and in the moment. Whether it's not cursing, maybe it's just hurtful words like, idiot, you're stupid. Or perhaps it's extreme words such as, you never help out. You always fill in the blank. Those are scorching fire words, ideas, words that flow out of our our mouths and from our hearts. Parents and spouses, I spoke last week of only words that seem to be like scorching fire of criticism. And slowly, as that critique hammers down that person, their identity their worth, their value. And that happens subtly and sometimes very blatantly. Proverbs 18.21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love, love it, will eat its fruits. You know, what the Proverbs writer is saying is that we kill people with our words. Sometimes we kill them figuratively. Their heart, their dreams, their hopes, we kill them by our criticism, by our constant pestering. Sometimes it can actually lead to physical death. Pastor Tim Keller tells a story of the f- a funeral he presided over of a young man whose girlfriend not only ended their relationship, but as they were ending their relationship, just basically riddled him with all sorts of criticisms and terrible words to describe him. So after that tongue lashing, He walked across the lawn, his, her lawn, got into his car, pulled out a gun, and shot himself on her lawn, on the front of her lawn. And that's just from words. That's the power of words. And I just don't think we take to heart enough how significant our words are to all those around us, including those we love. How many parents have torn apart their children because they have continuously torn down their children without ever providing an uplifting word. If our children succeed in something, maybe it's not something that we necessarily think is so great because so often as adults, we uh, have this pattern of, okay, this is, this is success. And so if a child brings a, a, drawing that, a drawing that they've worked hard at and it doesn't look so great, it actually doesn't look great at all. They have no artistic talent. But what they did is they provided for you something that was from their heart. And your instinct is automatically to say, you know, you could have done better. You know, that, that, that picture of me, that's not a really flattering picture. I mean, obviously hearing that, we all say, oh, that's, that's really harsh. There's something wrong with that. But we might not do that, but we do it in all sorts of ways to our children. And rather than looking for ways to bless, we're looking for ways to critique. And that constant hammering down, it destroys the heart. If you call your child an idiot or a moron or a good-for-nothing because they brought home a particular report card, it doesn't matter what letters are on that report card. If we are wearing them down without actually any concern for their soul, then what we're instilling in that child is you need to achieve a certain level of worldly success to be acceptable to me. And in every way at that point, then we are raising a fool because we're a fool ourselves. We've determined that the world's successes are better, more lasting than the success of knowing Christ. And Jesus says that person's a fool. So when we are more upset and angered by a letter than we are the heart behind the letter, concerned about their soul, it says a lot. And what we're doing is we're creating deep wounds in that person. Evil words are often foolish words. Proverbs 18, 6-7, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul." You know, the, the problem with uh, apps like TikTok or Facebook or Instagram is that as you scroll down these social media websites, they have all sorts of algorithms to determine how slow you're scrolling, what you're looking at. And so I don't I don't actually look at social media that much, but I do look every once in a while at Facebook. And what's interesting is that. Um, there's this one section where it always shows the videos, these videos. And I have to say, I'm drawn to certain ones, such as I like seeing animals eat other animals. So it always shows lions and tigers. And and somehow I get drawn and sucked into that. And then another one that some, I must have looked at this too much is people fighting (laughs) at like stadiums (laughs) and fights. And I I was I can't help it. I, it's literally, I, I look at a, two big guys and because of someone touched me or said something, they get into literally the beers go flying and they just start just mauling each other. And I, I it's in every way what Proverbs is saying here in Proverbs eighteen six 6 through 7, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. It's just words. We might say that. It's just words. But those words, you can be beaten over words. You can be killed over words. You can be killed over a look, let alone over words. This is what foolishness is. It's undiscerning, and we see this in Proverbs twenty-nine, twenty. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is much more hope for a fool than for him. It's not just the words that you say. It's how you say those words. It's when you say those words. And Proverbs there is not talking about a person who talks fast. It's that they can't control what they say. Whatever's on their mind, automatically that flows out to their their mouth. Sometimes it doesn't flow out to a mouth. Sometimes it flows out to text. You feel something, and you automatically text a friend, and you say, oh, did you know that this person said this to me? And, or maybe suddenly you feel something, and then you get your computer out and you type up a 12-page, 15-page email. And you email blast it to everybody and say, this is what this person has done to me. You see that at work in all sorts of contexts. Proverbs here is telling us that, do you see, listen to that again in light of those examples. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. How and when you say words matters tremendously, even if it's true. When one of my children, when they were young, um, we would, my wife and I, we would go into an elevator and this child would be with us. And uh, this one particular child happened to have this tendency to tell the truth very bluntly. She would just whoops, say, <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like that. I like this. I like that. Very bluntly. The problem is that they would, she, she would say that about a lot of people too. Oh, dad, why is And say it in front of them. And so whenever we would get into the elevator, I would always be praying, oh, Lord, please don't let, please, Lord. Guard who comes in, because if they had a unique characteristic about them, she would say, Daddy, she's very blank, you know, whatever. And I would, we'd be just so mortified. It happened quite often. We'd be fighting that and saying, you got to not do that. Were the words she was saying true? yes but timing matters. The heart matters, because she didn't care about the heart of the person, whether they were struggling, or it just didn't matter. So it's not just about speaking truth, and I think that a lot of times we tend to think, oh, as long as it's true, it should be said. No. Hasty words without a heart that is right before the Lord, considering the other person compassionate, there's more hope for a fool than for him. So this is so important for us. Jesus says, I'm sorry, James says this in James 1.19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And this is, this is a, a very important progression. It's sort of, how do you guard against saying hasty words? Well, first, James says is you have to be You have to really, really consider what the other person is saying. You have to be a listener. I find that there are three types of people. There's the 80-20 person, there's the 50-50 person, and then there's the 99.9 to 0.1 person. And it's this. The 80-20 person is many people. It's You tend to talk about 80% of the time, and you listen about 20%. That's many of us. 50-50 is really wonderful, and it's not necessarily exact, but there's a a mutuality of engagement of words. And in relationship and conversation, there's much more of a willingness to say, how are you feeling? What's going on with you? And so there's a back and forth between both people. And then there's the (laughs) 99.9ers. By the way, 99.9ers do not realize that they are a 99.9er. They are always talking They don't provide a a word in edgewise, and they never ask questions about you. And some of you perhaps have been in that type of relationship. Some of you, maybe you don't realize you're that person. And the way you come to realize it is you ask someone, especially someone who cares about you, hey, so do you think I talk too much? Do I listen? And if the answer is no, you do not listen, and yes, you do talk too much. That's a moment where we should step back and really take inventory of our own hearts because that person is incredibly self-centered. They're so blind and deaf to their own understanding of themselves that they don't realize they're stopping. And you know, some really great tricks are pause when you talk. A pause provides someone else the opportunity to speak into that pause. But if you just roll off and keep on talking, then it becomes a one-sided conversation. Also, another thing is, and this, by the way, I, I, my job requires talking. And so it's, I'm speaking to myself. I'm preaching to myself. Um, Another challenge is for those of us who like talking, we are already formulating, as we're listening to someone, instead of listening to what they're saying, we're formulating what to think of next in response to one of the things that they said because we're afraid that we're going to forget what they said and we want to respond quickly. And so we don't listen to people. We actually just are formulating ideas in our own mind and not really listening at all. We're not concerned about what the other person is feeling. We're not interested in other people, what they do for a living, what their background is like, what are their interests, you know, where their heart is before the Lord, all of these things that lead to a a mutuality of relationship. It's not there. So being quick to hear, to listen, to not be a fool, to not be hasty, is a significant beginning step before we then slow down with our words, that we actually are willing to listen to others. And that actually is a guard against anger. And that should make sense because if we're more concerned about how the other person is feeling, we're empathetic, we're thinking about how to engage someone and to draw someone out, generally it's a good battle against anger. It's a good technique to sort of fight anger. Listening leads to wisdom. Wisdom makes better relationships. And so when we're not consumed with ourselves and we're more empathetic towards others, it only benefits friendship and marriage and parent and child relationship and child and parent relationship. So for especially for parents, and I I do think as uh, children hit the teen years, there's a lot going on internally. Some things expressed, some things not expressed. Some of those things that are expressed are really poorly expressed. Um, and there could be words that are said that are absolutely wrong and sometimes evil. And as parents, we have to be in a place where we're recognizing to not fight evil, repay evil with evil, and instead to recognize that there's a, another way, another route. And so, and for those who are growing in those ways, I really, really want to commend you. Do not speak so quickly. Do not type so quickly. Do not email so quickly. If you email and type, always ask, should I send this out before you press send? Always, always, always. At work, at home, with your friends, always ask the question, should I really send this out? And it will take wisdom to look beyond how you feel in the moment, because in the moment, you'll feel angry. You'll feel frustrated. You'll want revenge. You'll want to get payback. And so the, the words that are spoken, the words that are typed, all of those things need to be stopped and halted in the moment, take a step back, and then come back to it later. And I think oftentimes you'll find, I think I'll just hit the delete button. I don't really need to do this. Or that, that's the great thing about at least typed words is you can always hit delete. The challenge is when you say it. But there is another route, the route to actually responding with perhaps saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? So there are healing words, not just evil words, but healing words. Proverbs 16, 24 says this, really wonderful words from scripture. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. That's true power. I don't know if you ever realize, but you, dear friends, you have power amongst, in you, and it's to heal people with your words. If you're a a child, a teenager, you know, you have the power to give your dad or mom a hug and to say, I love you. There's a tremendous power in that. But we we have this version to such things. We're so not used to saying things like that, or to come up with, Five different ways that your mom or dad is a blessing to you and actually say it. That's hard to do, isn't it? Isn't it hard? It would, all, it would, would it be so out of character if um, mom or dad, if your child said, Dad, mom, here's how you are a blessing to me. See, it shouldn't be. The problem is it's too much of in character to actually say evil words. We need to reverse that. We need to change the script. We need to actually change the way that we are used to things, the habits of our heart, and the way we think of our family structure, who we are. According to Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words, they're medicine for our souls. Medicine does not taste good. Drug companies spend probably millions of dollars, maybe billions, I don't know, on the taste of medicine, because if they could get a child to taste, to drink liquid medicine and they would like it, it would, it would be a hit. They would make tons of money. But anyone ever try cherry flavored Tylenol? No one ever drinks that and says, oh, this is so good. I love it. I I can't help but drink it. We don't get addicted to medicine because it tastes good. It's usually terrible, no matter how much money they invest in trying to make it taste good. Or try some of those herbal medicines that maybe some of your parents cooked up in uh, in their house, and they with roots and all sorts of disgusting things, and the house just stinks. And I, uh, I've, that's terrible. Like no one wants to drink that medicine. Tastes bad. It's supposed to be miserable. But what if medicine was m- the most delicious um, product you could ever swallow in your mouth. That's what Proverbs is saying about gracious words. Your words, when you speak them with compassion, with kindness, with mercy, when you proactively go about in your relationships and actually think of ways to be a blessing with your words, it's sweet medicine, health for your body, for your soul. And it changes who you are, and the people around you. The way we do this is, first, it matters what we intake, the words that we intake, because every day we're intaking all sorts of evil words. So God's word, Scripture, is meant to combat that. It's meant to show you gracious, kind words. And the more we have that, it's sweetness, and there's health for us. And then, when we speak it to others... It becomes words of blessing. It's uplifting. It's encouraging. Some of you know that feeling of when you get a virus. And before you uh, have a stuffy nose or head cold or body aches or sneezing, coughing, you know that point where you first feel a little off, but there's no other symptom other than you're feeling off. And no one else can tell except for you because you know your body, that feeling. Well, Spiritually speaking, when you don't have God's Word, and this is as a Christian, in, when you're not intaking it, where you're not spending time in God's Word, you feel off. I feel off. I know that. When I'm not regularly meditating, praying through Scripture, reading it, ingesting it, I feel off. And so I'm a little bit more anxious, a little bit more irritable, a little, a little bit more edgy, emotional, emotional. I always will act upon my emotions and whatever comes in my mind, I'll say it to those around me. And it usually does damage to some extent. It's that distance from the Lord that truly impacts even what I say. And so we need God's word. We need to intake it to actually have words of healing for other people. But secondly, we need to speak then gracious words. We need to actually activate it. You can't just intake it. It has to be let out towards others. The word of God does not come back to us void. It always produces result. And this is an expression of our hearts because God is changing us by his spirit and so we're being renewed. We're finding the gospel, the good news, the word of God actually good for us. We're reminded of all that Christ has done for us, not when we were good, but while we were a sinner, first. And then from that, I think, oh, you know what? If God loved me while I was a sinner, then I also need to do that to those around me. I need to be gracious again. I need to be compassionate and encourager. I want you to know mom, dad, brother, sister, friend, um, daughter, son, what you say, it so impacts those around you. You think it makes no difference, but it makes all the difference in the world. And so what you speak, and even the person says, ah, it's okay, I don't really care, I don't like cards or whatever, and there are people like that, but dismissive. But I tell you that they are more impacted that than by words than you realize, both as words of cursing and words of blessing. We have to go about today and tell, tell people, do not wait for your deathbed. I think there are so many people who have this crazy notion, well, I'll tell everyone what I really feel when I'm about to die. That's really tragic, isn't it? You can do that today. Right after church, go home and tell all your loved ones, here are all the different ways that you bless others. You don't have to wait for Thanksgiving. Let's all share a word of Thanksgiving. Why not do it at the dinner table tonight and say, Hey, why don't we all share a word of blessing to one another? How you are a blessing to us, or within friendship. The more we get acclimated to making that a regular part of our lives, the more it brings healing. Here's how it heals. Love this proverb, it's one that my kids and I think many of you know, for, have known for a while, Proverbs 15, one through two. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. There have been times where um, Sue and I have been in the middle of a conflict, and it's it's bad. And uh, you know, I'm steaming because of my self righteousness, and it's it's to the point where we almost can't even talk. It just seems hopeless, and there's there are those moments where it, it just seemed dark and hard and. There's a, just an intractable nature to our relationship. And in the midst of that, suddenly, she will turn to me and with literally like a childlike softness will say, you heard me. And she says it like that, like a child almost. You heard me. And I tell you, at that moment, my heart just melts. I, I can't retort back. Because Proverbs 15, one through two is so spot on. It's not to try to hide it under the rug. She actually will say, you heard me. But she'll say it with such a softness. It's disarming. Now, if she had come to me with, let me give you 10 reasons why you're wrong. Dun, 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 dun. You know what would happen? I give my 10, but louder. And then she gives another 10, but louder. And then another, and it just goes up and up and up. And that's what happens in most conflict is that the initial cause of the conflict, the initial point of the argument, we almost forget oh, what will we argue, I don't even remember. But what we do remember, are this any swear words, any hurtful words, yelling and screaming, throwing something, all those things, that destroys relationship. A soft answer turns away wrath. You hurt me. Try that out. <laughs> See if it will make a difference, even in your relationships with, again, parent to child, child to parent. The more, the softer we become with grace, with truth, it, it just is like a, a sword thrust. I mean, it just cuts you through. And there is nothing stronger than the power of a person who is genuinely hurt, but actually is still gracious. That just leaves us stunned. I really believe that's what left Job after 40 chapters, 38 chapters of complaint. And then when God intervenes, you know what Job says in chapter four? Uh, He says, I covered my mouth and I repented in ashes and dust. He had nothing to say when he saw the living God and he just realized, I've sinned. We need to learn something of how to have a good conflict a merciful conflict, by recognizing that sometimes it just takes saying a lot less words with honesty, with grace, with mercy, with truth. I don't think we ever can do this enough. If you're asking yourself, how do I grow? How do I get over a really difficult marriage or a difficult relationship with your child or with your parent? Start with just a point of humility and softness and see if God doesn't change that relationship dramatically. Proverbs 12, 18 says this, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You and I, we have to realize our words, they do damage. I've I've had paper cuts before, I've sliced my finger with a knife, by accident, I mean, not with an. uh, that was my wife. (laughs) I sliced my finger with a a glass shard and I had to go to the hospital. Those hurt, but I can't imagine a sword thrust into the gut. I mean, that would literally kill, right? The pain would be dramatic. There is one whose rash words, again, that concept of hasty words, and some of us are talkers, we like talking. We have to stop talking sometimes (laughs) Now I'm not talking about stopping talking as a, a silent the silent treatment or using silence as a weapon. Silence as a weapon is just as evil as curse words. It's the same heart. but we have to be willing to listen and sometimes just to stop talking because we like talking way too much, especially when we're trying to prove ourselves as right. We have to listen because There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. You're just killing someone over and over again. And it does deep damage. When we say things like, I hate you. You're a loser. I wish you were dead. You'll never amount to anything. You're an imbecile. Maybe you've said these words. I want a divorce. I wish you were never born. I wish we never married. And the list goes, they're all sword thrusts. They destroy, they kill, they ruin relationship. But look at the opposite. The opposite is the tongue of the wise brings healing. What makes one wise? It is the ability to see beyond themselves and to see God. See, when you are a fool, you always act upon what you feel in the moment. Fools never can see beyond themselves. That's why foolish people are lazy. They, and this is something we've shared with our kids many times. It's, you know, you're going to have a regret. Let's say it's about studying. You're going to have a regret. It's either going to be in the moment or in the future. If you, if all you want to do is hang out with your friends and you don't care nary a thing about, you know, your academics or whatever it might be, By the time you hit graduation and you're about to enter into a new phase of life, there's going to be a regret. Or there's going to be the regret in the present that says, oh, I don't get to hang out with my friends as much because I have to do my work. There's always a regret. But the question is, is the regret in the present or in the future? And present regret, while it is painful, it's not as bad as future regret. That's a general principle in almost everything. And wisdom is to be able to see that to some extent, to recognize if I'm working out and exercising while it's painful in the moment, it gives me vibrancy. It allows me to work harder and labor more for the Lord. You know, and if I'm able to just think, you know, I'm not going to say these words now. I'm not because they're going to hurt this person so much deeper and for me yes it gets it off my chest but it ruins the relationship for the future wisdom says i can i remember and know the future even though i don't even though i can't read the future i know it principally and so therefore i will not act upon what i feel if i feel hurt and angry i won't go and just blurt out all the things I want to say and call this person all sorts of names and say, I wish you were dead and I don't want to ever see you again. I want a divorce. And the power of that is so great that it just destroys the future. If you really want to see wisdom, wisdom, again, look at those words again. Wisdom has this power to bring healing. And it's to know that you can stop. Take a moment, reflect, pray, you know, uplift, encourage. Wisdom always thinks that way because it's always thinking about the whole person. It's empathetic, it's looking towards the future. It understands what relationship is truly about in Christ. Christians heal with their words. That's who we are. We heal people, we're healers. And we do it through God's word. And we do it by being gracious, by being empathetic, compassionate, encouraging, uplifting. That's not just some sort of naive um, idealism, but rather it's the true belief that God's word has power. If we do anything otherwise, it just turns the world off from the Lord. Philosopher, Christian philosopher Francis Schaeffer, he reminds us of this when he says, when we have shown a lack of love toward the other, we are called by God to go and say, I'm sorry. I really am sorry. If I'm not willing to say I'm sorry when I've wronged somebody else, especially when I have not loved him, I've not even started to think about the meaning of a Christian oneness, which the world can see. The world has a right to question whether I'm a Christian. And more than that, if I'm not willing to do this very simple thing, the world has a right to question whether Jesus was sent from God and whether Christianity is true. If you say you're a Christian, and in your heart of hearts, you refuse to forgive someone, there should be an internal question on whether you actually believe in Christ or not. Christians say sorry. Christians heal with their words. And we fail many times, but Christians heal with their words. But what do you do with the failure? Because I know every time I prepare a passage like this, a message like this, it always comes back to me and says, but you fail with your words many times towards even the people you love the most. What do you do with that? You look to the one whose words never fail, whose words have great power. The very power of God in his words in Genesis chapter one, when he said, let there be light, there was light. But you know what took even more power is to resurrect a spiritually dead person to be alive. When through God's word, God calls out from the death of sin and makes them alive in Christ, there is a power in that that far exceeds even the creation of the universe. John says in Revelation 12:11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, him being Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony that they believe in Christ, the gospel of Christ, that shed blood is what defeats sin and Satan forever. That is the power of God's word in us as we proclaim Christ and all of the shed blood that the fact that He has substituted himself, he has loved us, he's given himself for us. That's the power of God's word in us. And that's what compels us to go and to share and to to bring healing, to be a blessing. So I really, really wanna encourage you, use your words. We tell that to our children when they're very young, right? Don't just go, "Eh, eh, eh." use your words, use your words. But use your words to bring healing Bring blessing and remember that it took the high cost of God's own son, his blood shed for you, the good news of God's word that allows you the power to actually then be a blessing to others. Let's pray together. Lord, we turn to you because I know for myself, I acknowledge that it's my words that so often do not heal but hurt so tempting to act in the moment, um, to just be ruled by my emotions, my feelings. That's not the work of a, a wise person, but it's the mindset of a fool. And Lord, you had to become a fool, a fool on the cross, so that we fools could be set free. Thank you for being our logos, our word, the word of the testimony, the blood of the lamb shed for us. As we come to this table, oh Lord, we come so thankful. We pray that we be a means of grace to the world around us, to those whom we love, just to the world that we are um, in. And by doing so, we know we will make an impact. Lord, we can't do this without your power. And thank you for the spirit of God who is doing the sanctifying work of sanctifying our words to be words of blessing rather than words of curses. To be words of encouragement rather than to be hurtful words. May we do so so amazed by you and the promises of your word. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name.